Welcome to the Spokesman Review Podcast. I'm reporter Kip Hill. And I'm Spokane 7 writer Nathan Weinbender. Coming to you from the Spokesman Review newsroom in the Review Tower in snowy downtown Spokane. The Washington legislature has had a lot of issues to sort through, chief among them funding for public education. Olympia reporter Jim Camden will join us via phone to give us an update on the happenings in the state capitol as a new legislative session gets underway. Then it's round four of our ongoing trivia series, Wake Up and Answer It. There was some sort of football game this past weekend, and we've got some trivia to accompany it that may not be what you're expecting. I'll try to extend my lead over Kip in our trivia contest in the show's second segment. This is episode 78 of the podcast, premiering Tuesday, February 7th, 2017. Thanks for tuning in. You can find all episodes of our show on iTunes and Stitcher or stream them in your browser at spokesman.com slash podcast. They're always free. We are also on social media. Our Twitter handle is at Spokane underscore podcast and our Facebook page is facebook.com slash Spokane podcast. You can also email us podcast at spokesman.com. Let's get going. Lawmakers are gearing up for a marathon session in Olympia as the state grapples with its court-mandated financial obligation to public schools. Proposals have included a complete overhaul of the tax structure or perhaps even amending the state constitution to solve an ongoing problem. Jim Camden is once again our man on the Hill, and he joins us now via phone to give some updates on the first few weeks of the Washington legislature. Be aware the quality may dip a bit. Once again by... uh veteran political reporter, Jim Camden. Jim, thanks for coming back. Appreciate that. My pleasure. So um, oh, we, I set this up as we talk about the legislative uh, session, and I want to get to that, but um, you were uh, on the scene Friday as uh, a federal, federal judge, right, uh, handed down a ruling on Trump's immigration executive order. Is that right? Well, yes, ju- uh, uh, Judge Robart in Seattle, mm-hmm. the State sued the federal government over the immigration restrictions that uh, President Trump signed as an executive order, and mm-hmm. and so that goes to federal court. And and because right. Washington State is is the person suing, they were able to to sue in federal court in Seattle. So uh, Judge Robart, who was appointed by President George W. Bush, a, a Republican appointment, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. believe was was confirmed 99 to zip or something like that. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, he, he's a, a well-thought-of judge, and he held a hearing in Seattle uh, middle of the afternoon on Friday. The uh, federal government came uh, was represented by uh, a deputy U.S. attorney, uh, uh, Michelle Bennett, and, and Noah Purcell, who is the state's solicitor general, represented the state. Um, Judge Robart just, uh, ruled that the state had a, a, a substantial chance of proving that there were unconstitutional features of the executive order in, involving um, whether or not this is a, uh, a violation of the Establishment Clause of, of the First Amendment. The mm-hmm. federal government, government cannot establish a, a preference for a religion. Also, uh, there were some due process questions that the state was raising that he he uh, uh, believed uh, had some merit, at least enough merit to go to a full hearing on it. This was mm-hmm. this was an abbreviated hearing. Everybody got uh, thirty thirty minutes to talk. Okay. So, uh, if if uh, this is now the federal government appealed that immediately to the Ninth Circuit mm-hmm. Court of Appeals over the weekend. The, the Ninth Circuit refused to give a, a, an immediate uh, stay of, of the judge's order, and, and uh, they are they've ordered briefs. Essentially, the two sides uh, state your case, and mm-hmm. and then they will decide whether or not they they will uh, put a halt to the temporary restraining order, which essentially uh, uh, had the federal government standing down from the executive order all over the country. This is not just for Washington State, right? Uh, because it's uh, the judge said it, it may be unconstitutional, um, he ordered it uh, put on hold all over the country. So, so procedurally, where we're at now is the the appellate court, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals will have to take a look at this. It won't be before another judge at the district level until that determination is made. Is that right? It's not clear. The, okay. The, a three-judge panel on the on the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals could take this up in a in, in a full hearing. I see. Or they could say, let's let the let's let it play out in in district court. Now, this right. is a temporary restraining order, so it's it's not permanent. 
um, and, and there will be a full hearing before there's a permanent injunction issued. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the appeals court might say, well, let's have both sides argue it. Let's, let's develop a better record, and then we'll take a look at the record. Mm-hmm. Or they could say, well, we, we think we need to, to step in here because it's a constitutional issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to step in, and then if, if that happens, whoever loses at the Ninth Circuit is almost certain to appeal to the uh, U.S. Supreme Court, which sure. is a problem because the Supreme Court is, is split 4-4 between yeah. conservatives and liberals right now. So um, if it goes up there before uh, President Trump's appointment to, to fill the Scalia seat uh, gets seated, then, then anything that basically ends in a tie in the Supreme Court goes back to whatever the the uh, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals rules. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's it's a huge national question. It's it's that's, that's basically taking place here on the the Washington stage. And I mean, it was it was pretty rapid, right? I mean, when did the it, wasn't it announced by the Attorney General that this action was going to be taken last week, and then and then there was a really yeah, quick the, hearing. What so what was the uh, timeline there? Well, and, and that that happens with a request mm-hmm. for a temporary restraining order. Sure. Uh, the what person who goes into court is saying there is irreparable harm happening to people uh, right now and the court has to step in to stop this mm-hmm. and so uh, on a temporary basis until we can have a full hearing uh, we would like a temporary restraining order to, uh, against this executive order and so uh, th- that's the standard pace for for a TRO uh, a couple of days and, and you're you're in court uh, with both sides arguing they're make, taking their best shot uh, with with the limited information that they have available. The the judge will hold a preliminary uh, uh, hearing on on a uh, a permanent injunction later down the road. In which case it'll it, it'll be much more fully developed. But mm-hmm. what what was very quick was after Judge Robart ruled, which was about uh, four o'clock on mm-hmm. Friday. Right. The, the Trump administration said uh, by about midnight that night that they were going to appeal. They went to the to the Ninth Circuit. The, the Ninth Circuit said by midnight on on uh, Saturday, we are not going to stay the judge's order, uh, and they set a, a a schedule for each side to present their uh, a written version of their case. The uh, state has filed its version because it was due at midnight last night, and mm-hmm. the federal government's case uh, it, uh, arguments are due in writing by three o'clock today. Okay. Okay. So today being Monday, we're recording, Monday. and then it'll yep. be out Sorry by Tuesday. That, yep. No, yeah, <laughs> the wonderful world of recorded audio. So, yep. um, what what was the the courtroom like? Were there a lot of of protesters there? I mean, what 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 did you see in the courtroom? It was packed by people who basically wanted to, to, to see this constitutional argument play out. But, mm-hmm. uh, the first uh, couple of, of uh, benches were full of reporters, obviously. Yeah. And, and somebody had had a couple of sketch artists there too. It's always fun to sit behind the sketch artist. Oh sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you can't bring a, a camera and, and take pictures in a federal court, so so you have to rely on sketch artists. Um, and then they had an overflow courtroom where they. Uh, sent the, the hearing on closed-circuit television for the, – there were probably 100 people in line when I got to the 14th floor where the, where the courtroom Holy was. Holy cow. Okay. Uh, I felt a little, little guilty because as a reporter, I got I, I got to go in while everybody else was standing in line. Right. But, uh, not that guilty that I said, oh, no, that's okay. Let everybody else in. <laughs> Well, um, yeah, we, we'll, we'll link to that story in the show notes. It's obviously uh, an ongoing sort of uh, federal question here, but we brought you mostly on ab- about your regular day day gig, which is uh, covering the legislature. And I guess the first thing that I sort of wanted to talk to you about is kind of um, this this tax plan from, from uh, Republicans on how to basically meet the, um, the, the, high, the state Supreme Court's mandate on public education funding. Kind of explain that and where it's at right now. Well, this is a, a, a very complicated issue, and so it has a very complicated uh, proposed solution from, mm-hmm. from Senate Republicans. It is a, it's a proposal to change both the way public schools get money and the way the state and, and the school districts raise money through the property tax. So it's a reform of both of them. And, and the easiest way to, to say it is it, it shifts a lot of the burden 
for collecting property taxes from the school districts to the state and the state would uh, would have a uniform property tax levy uh, in in every school district in the state of of a dollar eighty per one thousand dollar of assessed valuation. I'm not going to get too deeply into that because as soon as you start talking about property taxes, everybody's eyes glaze <laughs> over. But uh, suffice it to say that it means that some school districts which have relatively high property tax levies because they have relatively low property values. Uh, they would get a tax break. They, mm-hmm. Their taxes would go down. Some places that have relatively low levy rates because they have high property values, they would pay more in taxes. Now, those mm-hmm. areas that are going to pay more in taxes primarily are on the west side of the state, Seattle, Bellevue, Mercer Island, Anacortes, um, uh, because they have high property values over mm-hmm. there. So th- they're going to see their property taxes go up. Uh, most of the uh, property tax payers in Spokane area, they would see their taxes go down, and there is a big fight over whether or not they would see the amount of money that goes to to kids in in the public schools go up or down. It is a very complicated argument involving which data you use and and what what years you are um, mm-hmm. measuring. And so, uh, I, I would say that that. This is one of those things that, that people should stay tuned on because uh, the, the Senate proposal and a House Democratic proposal, they are coming up for a hearing today in the House Appropriations Committee, which is the mm-hmm. House version of the budget. And, and um, it's gonna, they're going to be very different, and they're going to have to be reconciled at some point, mm-hmm. probably some months from now when mm-hmm. everybody knows how much money the state can really expect to have in terms of, of tax revenue. And for that, they wait for the economic forecast, which right now is scheduled to come out in, in the middle of March, but might be moved up to the middle of February. The, to facilitate this discussion then, or, or when you say moved well, up? Well, not just or? this discussion, but the entire budget. I mean, the right. entire budget, and, and, and this, is, this could be 50% of the entire state general fund budget is mm-hmm. going to the public schools. Right. But the entire budget depends on – a, a an accurate forecast of how much money will the state have to spend. Mm-hmm. The way that they do that, because they're basically looking into the future, um, they uh, they don't get to throw darts at a board with with dollar figures on it. They they have economists forecast based on how different things are happening in, in both the federal and and international economies, and then in the state economy, and then they tell the legislature. Okay, this is how much money we think you'll have to spend. So this is what you have to write your budget for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, um, I guess sweeping changes to the to the tax system, really. I mean, you know, we always hear that at the federal level that we're we got to do tax reform, we got to do tax reform, and then both sides sort of get entrenched and nothing really ever happens in that. I mean, it it, it does it seem like is it the is it the McCleary decision that sort of Forcing this, I mean, obviously, or I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I guess the the likelihood that that uh, some changes will need to be passed. Um, how do you, how do you see this playing out? I guess. Well, McCleary is driving a lot of this, and and, mm-hmm. and the reason McCleary is driving it is the the state supreme court said the state is responsible for paying for basic education, and the right. and the legislature has defined what basic education is. And one of those things is the salaries that, that the schools pay the teachers and their other staff. So right now, a lot of school districts supplement their their salaries with the local levies. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, it, the property tax is, is, the, is what they are using, and the, and the Supreme Court is saying, you can't do that anymore. So the state has to come up with, with the money. Uh, to pay for school salaries and other basic education costs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not enough money in the general fund to do that right now unless you mm-hmm. either cut uh, some programs that, that are taking up some of that money or you find new tax revenue. And mm-hmm. You can either find new tax revenue by instituting a brand new tax, like an income tax, which is very unpopular in Washington State, or by uh, changing rates on other taxes, mm-hmm. or by getting rid of certain tax preferences, or what what their opponents call loopholes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
Um, in order to do all this, there's going to have to be some changes in taxes. Now, it could mm -hmm. be uh, a sweeping reform like the, this switch, what they call a levy swap between the, the state uh, property tax and the local school district property tax, or it could be um, it, it could be some incremental changes. The other thing, though, is that the school districts have been allowed to charge more uh, in in their levy rates for the last five years mm -hmm. because of, of a law that the, that the legislature passed in 2011. So they were given a little extra taxing authority, and mm -hmm. uh, that's that's scheduled to go away next year. Mm -hmm. So the school districts are, are scheduled to go over what they call the levy cliff, where, where the tax revenue is going to come down, and they will either uh, the state either provides that money or the the school districts are just SOL. Mm -hmm. There's always a cliff in politics, it seems like. A cliff there are or always a, a cliff. <laughs> yeah, these, these are, these are uh, uh, figurative cliffs, not geographic formations. Right, right. Yes, yes, yes. That's a, that's a different story for a different day. Well, um, yes. uh, that's obviously seems to be one of the, one of the biggest sort of ongoing uh, uh, legislative issues is this idea of of tax reform to to meet the the public uh, schools funding requirements, but what 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 else are you are you monitoring? Uh, and and also, I understand that you have sort of a new Facebook thing that folks might be interested in. Kind of lay that out for us. Well, we have decided to to try uh, our hand at Facebook Live at the newspaper mm -hmm. and, and and spread from the printed word and and, and online to uh, a little video. And so naturally they, they picked one of, one of the least uh, photogenic, uh, <laughs> oldest, uh, crankiest people to be online first. And so uh, every Monday around noon, it's sub somewhat subject to uh, what's going on in the legislature. But Monday noon is usually a pretty free time. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm doing a, like a five-minute update. So we're, we talk about what happened last week and what we what we know is coming this week. Now, mm -hmm. things change a lot from from Monday to say Wednesday when when schedules get re revised for the various hearings. But uh, we give a, a, a quick update of what happened last week. And, and uh, on this Monday, I talked a little bit about the the uh, whole public school and property tax reform. Mm -hmm. and I also mentioned some some hot topics for the. Spokane and Eastern Washington area, like uh, there were two gun control or gun safety uh, measures, depending on on your side of that issue, mm -hmm. uh, that, that came up for a hearing in the Judiciary Committee. One of them is a, is a requirement for anybody that owns, buys, or sells a, a, a semi-automatic firearm uh, with certain assault weapon sty uh, stylings on it mm -hmm. to have a license. Uh, that, that's pretty controversial, and we'll be watching that as it makes its way through. Um, later this week, we have several uh, bills that are going to be here uh, that are coming up for hearing in the Senate Commerce, Labor, and Sports Committee that have to do with changes to either uh, organized labor in general or the the unions that represent the uh, state employees in particular. Mm -hmm. So. On Wednesday, there's a bill to turn Washington into a right-to-work state, mm -hmm. which, if it were to pass, and I'm not saying that it will because I think it faces significant uh, resistance, but it would be historic to change Washington State, which uh, Franklin Roosevelt's uh, chief political advisor, James Farley, once referred to as the Soviet of Washington, <laughs> because it was heavily unionized. Yeah. Um, so um, we'll watch that one, too. I mean, there are there, right-to-work laws have been uh, gaining steam in other states. I'm just not sure if Washington State is quite ready for it to be, to pass a, a right-to-work law. Okay. All right. And so those are on, those Facebook Live updates are tentatively scheduled for Monday at noon, obviously things right. things could change, but um, all folks have to do is log into the, the spokesman's Facebook page. How do they see your content, I guess? Well, once, the, uh, once we've done them, 
mm-hmm. uh, the, the video remains online, so you you can uh, scroll down uh, to through the face uh, the spokesman reviews uh, page, or you can I think you can just click on videos, and and one of them will come up. You'll see um, videos, Facebook Live videos of of uh, Jim Meehan and, and John Blanchett from the uh, from the Gonzaga games, and, right. and uh, we'll be adding other Facebook Live content as um, in the weeks ahead because uh, we're we're trying out this this new medium, which uh, we we started during the the campaign season last mm-hmm. year, but uh, and and uh, we had Facebook Live updates on, on election night, which, as you might remember, election night was just a little bit crazy around the newsrooms. So it was it was a bit, a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had a little a real problem trying to hit our marks of of every hour on the hour, um, but um, there's yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit easier to 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 hit them. Uh, uh, at, at noon on Mondays, and so if you're doing, if, if you're tuning in at noon on Mondays while we're live, uh, you can um, go onto Facebook and, and ask a question, and I, I can try and answer it if I know the answer. I'm not not trying to suggest that I know the answer to all the questions that people <laughs> play about there about the legislature. Uh, and it, it, if I don't know it, I'll I'll admit it. I won't try and fake my way through it. <laughs> we don't want any fake news out there. Hey, uh, Jim. No, 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 uh, only real news. <laughs> Right, exactly. Well, hey Jim, it's it's great to catch up. Uh, we'll look for those videos. If folks want to follow your reporting on social media, other than the Facebook videos, how do they do that? Uh, you can check me out on Twitter on Jay Camden, uh, and uh, uh, just on Facebook at Jim Camden, mm-hmm. and and on the blog, which is Spin Control, which you can find on um, SpokesmanReview.com under the blog section. Great. Okay. Well, hey, thanks for uh, stopping by, Jim, uh, via phone, I guess. Uh, I know you got a, a, a busy week of covering the legislature ahead of you, so thanks so much. Yep. Well, my pleasure, and uh, call anytime. Real Big Fish, Kip's favorite band, is making <laughs> its way to the Knitting Factory on Friday the 10th. The California-based ska punk band has been on tour to celebrate the 20th anniversary of its debut album, Turn the Radio Off. Did I get that right? You did. All right. Well, no, actually, they had one before. Okay, never mind. And they'll be performing with (laughs) Pittsburgh punk band Anti-Flag. Sorry, I asked. (laughs) Tickets are $23 through the Knitting Factory's box office. I'll give you a pass. Thanks. The Spokane Symphony continues its season with a weekend classics concert showcasing Tchaikovsky's compositions inspired by the Shakespeare tragedies Romeo and Juliet and Hamlet. Featuring visiting cellist Joshua Roman, the program runs Saturday at 8 p.m. and Sunday at 3 p.m. at the Fox Theater. Tickets start at $15 through Tickets West. National Geographic Live is a series that allows the revered magazine's veteran photographers to provide audiences with background on their jobs and their most famous work. The upcoming presentation will feature aquatic photographer Brian Scarry at the INB Performing Arts Center on Wednesday the 8th. You can purchase tickets, which run from $28.50 to $38.50 through Tickets West. Actor and comedian Tim Behrens has adopted several of humorist Patrick McManus's memoirs into live one-man shows. One of them, titled McManus in Love, hits the stage of Sandpoint's Panida Theater on Saturday the 11th, and Behrens embodies 15 different characters in a comic story of nature and romance. Tickets are $20 at the door. And Stephen Sondheim's A Little Night Music opens at Spokane Civic Theater on Friday night. The musical, inspired by Ingmar Bergman's film Smiles on a Summer Night and helmed by Civic's artistic director Lenny Bart, runs through March 5th on the theater's main stage. Tickets are available at SpokaneCivicTheater.com. For more on these and other events, visit Spokane7.com. We've been playing Wake Up and Answer It for close to a year now, and I'm holding a slight edge to contest to one over Kip. Now, after we've all watched the quote-unquote big game, that's right, apparently there's some reason we can't call it that other thing, for (laughs) trademark reasons, we bring you some football-inspired trivia that has nothing to do with football at all, we think. Anyway, here in round four of Wake Up and Answer It, we give you super and bowl trivia. So, Kip, th- this was your idea, so why don't you kind of explain your reasoning here? Um, well, uh, Or we could, maybe explain what the, what the categories right, actually right. will be. My, my, my whole thing is it seems like everybody makes fun of the fact that they can't say the words super and bowl mm-hmm. next to each other to refer to the game. So I thought we'd, in our... Uh, uh, Next in this in this round, I would uh, come up with questions that have to do with super things, mm-hmm. um, which for the most part is going to be superheroes, super which duper. is sort of my um, area of expertise. Right. 
And then I threw you bowl because I just wanted to see what you'd come up with. And I wrote questions about my area of expertise, which is bowling. Oh, very good. Mostly bowling and pop culture. Okay. Um, so they're, they're mostly pop culture-related questions, but um, I'm glad you said see. that because I had no idea what they mm-hmm. were going to be about. Yeah, yeah. And I said bowl. I thought, you know, you could do quite a few different things. But anyway. Oh. Um, okay. Think, so says you. I think you're the uh, – you're you're the winner, so you yeah. can decide if you want to go first or if you want to defer, and I will. I will answer uh, you, the first you question. Can, you can you can read your first. I'll question. read my first yeah, question. Yeah. All right, this is question number one of eight. We're doing eight questions okay. again. So we usually talk about superhero blockbusters. Yeah, this is going to be about superhero flops. Okay, which of these superhero movie flops actually made the most amount of money at the box office? And this is not adjusted for inflation. Okay, so it's the. Movie, the, which of these movies grossed the most mo- money? A, The Meteor Man, which was a 1993 film. You, you probably know it. Yeah, with uh, Robert Townsend. Robert Townsend. Yeah. Uh, Cypress Hill and Naughty by Nature were in that film as mm. well, as was Don Cheadle, Sinbad, and Bill Cosby. Uh, James Earl Jones, I think. Was I think in that you're too. correct, yeah. yes. So Meteor Man is, is your first okay. one. Okay. Steel, which is a 1997 yeah. movie with Shaq O'Neal. Yeah. Catwoman, the 2004 Halle Berry film Oof. that. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Electra, which was the 2005 sequel wow. to Daredevil that featured Jennifer Garner. Which of those films made the most money? Good God. Um, I'm, I'm leaning towards the latter two, mainly because of the two newer ones, but also I think they, they did okay. Um, the only one of those I've seen is Electra, actually. Oh, I really? Somehow yeah. man- I saw Meteor Man when I was a kid, I but did it was too. so long ago that, yeah. you know... I but I somehow still remember everyone that was in it, so uh, yeah. that's how my brain works, I guess. <laughs> I'm gonna say uh, Electra. The answer is Catwoman. Really, Catwoman made forty million dollars. Wow! Which I think its budget was like 125, so it was so a flop. A flop. Right. These are all movies that made less than they okay. were originally supposed to, or, or their budgets laid out. Electra was number two with 24 mm. million. Okay. Meteor Man actually made eight million as the third wow. ranked film, and Steel made 1.7 million dollars in the box. <laughs> so that's why uh, Shaq never had a, a thriving film career. Yes. Okay. So uh, didn't quite get that one. You had right, the right fine. top two there, mm-hmm. but picked the wrong one okay. after that. So. Uh, well, this is uh, this is my first question. This is not pop culture related. I, I realize now, but okay. um, but l- let's see how you do. When bowling lanes were first installed in the White House, who was the sitting president? A. Herbert Hoover, B. Harry S. Truman, C. John F. Kennedy, or D. Lyndon Baines Johnson. You know, I always have that picture of Richard Nixon bowling, which which oh, made right. me think that Nixon was going to be the answer. Mm-mm. So you had Herbert Hoover, Hoover, Truman, Kennedy, or Johnson. I'm going to go with Harry Truman on that one. That's correct. Yes. Harry Truman. How about that? I believe that it was the, – the lanes themselves were later moved, I think, during – I think it was during the Nixon presidency. Okay. But, yeah, there's that, that famous picture of, of him. him. Yeah. Right, yeah. Which is featured in a film that will probably come up later. I don't know. Maybe, mm. maybe, maybe not. Mm. Anyway. so the, I'm not going to say anything. It's one to nothing. Yeah. Uh, we'll go to question number two. This is a much more straightforward um, uh question okay which of these iconic supervillains appeared in comic books first so who made their debut first the joker red skull from captain america magneto or of x-men or dr doom of fantastic four Ooh boy so who appeared first i feel like red skull is relatively newer even though captain america is probably the oldest of all those superheroes um the Joker was on TV too. Um, Cesar Romero, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And the originally mm-hmm. wouldn't shave his mustache. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think though, I ooh, yikes! I think I'm going to say Doctor Doom. That is incorrect. <sighs> the correct answer is the Joker. The Joker. Okay. He appeared in Batman number one, I believe. Really? Yeah. Oh. In April of 1940. Red Skull wow. was second in October of 1941. Oh, so I was, like, totally wrong about Doc- that. Doctor Doom was July 62, Ugh, and Magneto man. was September 63. Not even close. No. It's like, oh, Red Skull's a new guy. Yeah. Well, he was in the, I mean, he's the movie. Well, right? yeah. yeah. But he was but one I, of the original I, I also, I mean, I bad also, guys yeah. of Captain America. I also know nothing about comic books. Yeah, so, so well, hopefully we get, a, <clears throat> we get some better. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay, this is my uh, bowling question number two. Okay. In the 1996 comedy Kingpin, 
Woody Harrelson plays a burnout who coaches an Amish man, played by Randy Quaid, to defeat bowling extraordinaire Bill Murray. Mm -hmm. During the film's climactic bowling championship, Murray employs a signature bowling ball that has what object inside of it? Oh, man. What is inside of it? Murray's... It's not... Oh, man. I can... I can... He had that comb over. Right, Remember right. That Ernie like... McCracken. I can think of his name. I was hoping you were going to ask wow. me his name. No. Um, and I didn't want to lose to a guy with one hand, but I can't remember. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say a skull. That is incorrect. It okay. is a, a rose. Uh, a beautiful yeah, red rose. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. All right. Ernie McCracken. Well, yeah. you're still beating me because you have uh, – it's one to nothing one still. One to nothing still. All right. Question number three. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to read you the plot of four potential movies. Okay. Uh, superhero movies. Okay. One of these is one that I just made up. Okay. The other three were in were proposed but never made. Oh god. So okay, you gotta fine. you gotta come up with the one that I made up. This is uh, all right. This is rigged. <laughs> the first, a Superman movie featuring Nicolas Cage as the Man of Steel, helmed by Tim Burton, that would have seen soups fighting a giant spider. B, a Plastic Man movie made by the Wachowskis of Matrix fame. That would have converted the DC Comics hero with powers similar to Stretch Armstrong into a reformed eco-terrorist. C. A Wes Craven-directed Doctor Strange movie, the details of which were never leaked, though we know Marvel Comics wanted the slasher film expert to take on the movie that was eventually made by Benedict Cumberbatch and Scott Derrickson. We talked about that movie earlier. So, a Wes Craven Doctor Strange movie. Or D. A Deadpool movie from prolific superhero movie talent David S. Goyer floated after the success of Blade in 1999 that would have cast Jim Carrey in the role of the Merc with the Mouth. So just to run down, Tim Burton's Man of Steel with Nicolas Cage, Wachowski's Plastic Man, Wes Craven, Doctor Strange, or Deadpool with Jim Carrey as Deadpool. Mm -hmm. Which one of those is fake? I know for a fact that the Nicolas Cage, uh, Tim Burton, Superman was, I mean, that's a legendary stalled production. So Mm -hmm. I know for a fact that one existed. I feel like the Wes Craven thing makes sense, too. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like I remember that being talked about. Um, Plastic, I don't even know who Plastic Man is. He's got Um, the stretch Armstrong. He's capable of sort of like Mr. Fantastic. Okay, yeah. It's a real superhero. Well, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, I don't know, Wachowski is okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go with the Jim Carrey Deadpool. I did make that one up. Yes! That was not a real movie. Mm. Uh, Jim Carrey, uh, uh, Goyer is best known for his superhero collaborations on Dark Knight and right. the Batman vs. Superman. Right. But he never, they never talked about him making Deadpool. Right. And Carrey appeared in Batman Forever in The Mask. That's correct. Comic book. Yes, that's correct. So you caught up to me there. And, uh, one Kick-Ass answer. too. True. Yes, he's oh, in yeah. Kick-Ass too. Oh, yeah. That's right. So he's done lots of one. comic book yeah. movies. Yeah. All right, uh, we're number three, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, this uh, in this question, I'm going to read you uh, the synopsis of a television episode that is uh, related to bowling. The show okay. itself isn't related to bowling, but this was a their, their bowling episode, I guess. Okay. Um, and you have to tell me what show. I'm describing. Okay. Um, this was an episode titled Alley of the Dolls. Alley okay. is a bowling alley. Got it. All right. Peggy bumps into her old school nemesis, Mimi, and the stage is set for a bowl-off between their two families. Bud reveals that he doesn't know how to bowl because he squandered his bowling lesson money, which prompts Steve to coach him on the pointers of the game. What show am I describing? Oh, a- my God. Popular television Peggy, series. Peggy, Bud, and Steve. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go with Married with Children. That's correct. Yes. I was trying to think of Bud. The only other one I could come up with was American Dad, which has Steve as oh, one of right. the, with his sons yeah, or whatever. Right. But I couldn't remember. Yeah. But Married with Children, Katie Seagal. Yeah. Uh, David Faustino. David, David Faustino. Um, is... Steve was the neighbor, I think. Ah, Later yes, replaced yeah. by uh, Ted McGinley. Right. Yeah. Much in, in the correct casting decision. Yes. He was my favorite yes. in that movie. Yeah. All right. Two to one, then. Huh? All righty. All right. Question number four. In the song In the Garage, featured on Weezer's 1994 debut album, Finally. members of what superhero crime-fighting team are mentioned? The Justice League? The Avengers, 
the X-Men or Fantastic Four? Uh, I believe the lyric in the song is, I've got Kitty Pride and Nightcrawler 2 waiting there for me. Yes, yes I, I do. do. And that would be from X-Men. That's correct. Yes. Yes. I figured that would be a good one for you. You might. I, I tossed up uh, songs uh-huh. that I know you would know with uh-huh. superheroes. So. Uh, that, yeah, I, know, I think I know every lyric on that mm-hmm. album, so... Mm. Okay. Softball. Yeah, there you go. All right. This good, might this might job. be a softball too, but okay. um, I don't know. Okay. Question number four, uh, bowling related. Okay. Which of these things do not appear in either of the two dream sequences in The Big Lebowski? Okay. Maybe the most famous bowling film mm-hmm. ever made. Right. Is it A, synchronized dancers with bowling pin headpieces? Mm-hmm. B, a talking bowling trophy that dispenses religious wisdom? C, Men in red spandex suits wielding large scissors, or D, a giant bowling ball that crushes the dude. Three of those things show up. One of them does not. I, the, the dream ends with the bowling ball almost, or does it end with the bowling ball almost crushing the dude? I can't remember. Anyway, I know the bowling ball is in there. The scissors I remember because it's got Flea and the, the members of the band running around with their little uh, jumpsuits, so mm-hmm. that's not it. Uh, and I'm pretty sure the dancers had bowling pins on their heads. So I'm going to go with the talking bowling trophy that gives religious advice. That's correct. Sweet. All right. It was yes, probably, you know, if, if there was a bowling uh, trophy, that it would probably be dispensing tenets from the religion of Dudism. Right. Yeah. That would make sense. Mm-hmm. Yes. I figured you'd have a, a big Lebowski. Yeah, question. you have to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Question number five. It's two to two, right? Or did I go ahead uh, on yeah. that one? Uh, I think you... Yeah, you went, you, you're uh, you're three. three I'm a two. two. Yeah. Okay, right, because I get married with children. Yeah, yeah. That. Okay. Question number five: Kevin Smith likes comics. I think we can say that. Yeah. Film director. I can corroborate. Which of these superheroes has the film director not written a comic book series for? No. A. X Men. B. Daredevil. C. Batman. Or D. Spider Man. So Kevin Smith has done mm. actually done comic books for three of those four superheroes. Okay. He's uh, not. Okay, I'm gonna winnow this down. I'm almost mm-hmm. positive that it would be Daredevil because he was in that movie. He had a cameo in that movie, so I think I'm gonna. I'm. I'm thinking that he did that. And what were the other ones? Batman, X Men, Batman, and Spider Man. He loves Batman, and he actually was involved in that Tim Burton Nick Cage mm-hmm. Superman movie. He and was. I'm almost positive they he later took that plot that he was gonna do and put it in a comic book. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna write that one out mm-hmm. and then it was x-men or spider-man mm-hmm. i'm gonna say he hasn't done a spider-man comic he hasn't done an x-men ah! again you had the top two but anyway he uh did an eight issue run of daredevil in 98 99 before oh before the movie before the movie okay a six issue limited series featuring spider-man the black cat that ended in 2006 and batman cacophony it was a three at issue limited series that pitted Batman against the Joker in a gang war. Uh, by the way, just a bit of uh, uh, trivia, Kevin Smith's daughter is named Harley Quinn. I knew that. I did know that. Yes. So it was X-Men okay. and Spider-Man. But yeah. you had it windowed down again. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, Whatever. Anyway. Yes. Okay. Uh, the scores still stand. Three to two? Uh, yeah, I think yeah, so. Okay. All right. This is a question about the second greatest uh, bowling film of all time. The Disney Channel original movie Alley Cat Strike. <laughs> I don't know if you recall that's this. your film. number two. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you recall it. I don't. So um, this it's is about be uh, okay. It's about a bowling competition between rival junior high schools, and it like features an early performance by what actor? Now one of the highest paid TV stars. Okay. Is it A. Kaylee Cuoco of The Big Bang Theory? Mm-hmm. B. Simon Helberg also of The Big Bang Theory. C, Amelia Clark of Game of Thrones fame, or D, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, who is on the cast of Modern Family. Which of those actors appeared in the landmark classic Alley Cat Strike? Okay. I'm just well, kidding about this being a classic. Well, yeah, okay, for sure. Just checking. Well, my, my sense is to go with one of the stars of The Big Bang Theory, because I remember reading that they're just stupidly... Paid, I do have to say that all four of these actors are – they're all on the list of top paid. Of top paid. Okay. So that there's no trick there. 
I know Kaylee Cuoco, like her first thing was that uh, John Ritter sitcom, although she may have been on something before that. I don't think it's her. I don't think it's. I don't think it's Jesse Tyler Ferguson either. I'm gonna go with Amelia Clark. It was Kaylee Cuoco. It was Kaylee it Cuoco. It was. Yeah. Uh, she was actually in a few Disney Channel original movies. Was she? Yeah, and then uh, the John Ritter series, which was um, Eight Simple Rules for dating, for dating my, my teenage, teenage daughter. daughter. That came shortly thereafter. See, I shouldn't have ruled her mm. out right to start yeah. off the bat. All right, All right. score still stands. Score Three still to stand. two. You're uh, you're in the lead. Question number six. Okay. All right, I'm going to read a bunch of things that bat weird things that Batman may have done one of these things he actually did in the comics okay so three of them are fake three of them are fake okay and i will tell you that i made up one of them the other two or i made up two of them one of them is lifted from another comic book series okay i'll give you that hint all right so we're looking for the weird thing that batman actually did in the comics did he leak the true identity of the riddler to vicky vale a reporter so that Bruce Wayne could emerge victorious in a Gotham City mayoral race against Edward Nigma? Did he, in a scheme ripped straight from Edgar Allan Poe's Cask of Amontillado... Is that how you say that? Do you know the story of Cask of Amontillado? No, I don't. Okay. Well, did Batman entomb a, entomb a Soviet superpowered hitman named KG Beast to thwart <laughs> an assassination attempt against Ronald Reagan? <laughs> Did Batman impound every car in Gotham City to wage a, quote, war on reckless drivers? Or did Batman lift certain biological fluids from poison ivy on the pretense of a romantic relationship in order to create a serum that will fight back against deforestation efforts in the rainforests? One of these things, Batman, actually, and your head is on the table I have stumped you, I believe. Well, this is just stupid. Mean. Um, well, these are comic books. I mean, <laughs> any of them could have actually happened. Um, you know what? I, I, I'm just. I'm not even going to think about it too much. I'm going to say um, uh, the one he actually did, right? Yes. Um, what did he I'm going to say do? the reckless driving one. No, that was Superman. Did that? Oh, of course he, he was. He, <laughs> he impounded every car in Metropolis and to fight a war. I mean, Superman did a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, I guess that's the right. the thing that he actually did was he entombed a Soviet superpowered hitman named KG Beast. I love that to thwart an assassination attempt against Ronald Reagan. Wow, in Cask of Amontillado. Um, uh, the 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 main character is an Edgar Allan Poe. Right. He basically puts this guy in. It tells him he has this wonderful wine he has to try and then, like, bricks him in over his screams. Yeah, it's a terrible, terrifying God. thing. He, Batman basically does the same thing. Well, I didn't realize that the Batman series brought in real-world figures oh, like yeah. Ronald Reagan. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There was, this was from, uh, appropriately perhaps, Batman number 420, oh. um, released in June 1998. Or 1988. Oh, wow. Me. Okay. So, yeah. Whatever. All right. Three to two t- still? Is that... I, I hated that. With two questions I hated that to go? so much. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, okay. Now... Actually, I'm not sorry. That was one of my favorite questions. Yeah, I'm right. sure it was. Yeah. Number, I, I hope it took you a really long time. <laughs> All right. Number six. Uh, we're going back to bowling again. Okay. All right. The final scene of Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood is set in a basement bowling alley where Daniel Day-Lewis bashes in Paul Dano's head with a bowling pin. You recall this yes, scene? Yes, I've seen this scene. What is the last line of dialogue spoken in the film? I'm finished. Yes. <laughs> Moving on. My fa- <laughs> You asked me about like one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, Oh, God, that scene is so good, though. Yeah, like, whatever, it really I'm going to lose. <laughs> well, you could still, it's four to two. I have two questions left here. Okay. If I get the rest of them wrong, we can we can tie, and we don't have a tiebreaker. Well, so if I don't so. get this one right, uh, then I, I definitely lose. Right. Okay. Right. I've got two more to go here, um, and I'm going to ask you a question about Stan Lee. Which okay. of these is not true about iconic Marvel superhero creator Stan Lee? Okay. Three of them are true. One of them is one I made up. Got it. A. He is only one of nine people in the U.S. Army during World War II whose official title was playwright. B, he has written for rival company DC Comics. C, he appeared on the New York Times bestseller list, adapting Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet as a graphic novel. Or D, the Japanese government has reported that the name Stan Lee is the most popular anglicized name given by parents in their country over the past 50 years. Interesting. Um, I'm going to go with the least complicated one, which is that he's written for DC. No, he actually did that. Oh, God. <laughs> 
He did on a contract. Uh, the one I made up was the last one. Japanese government hasn't oh. said anything about Stanley. I totally. Bu- if you had told me it was true, I'd totally believe it. <laughs> Alternative facts. Alternative facts. All right. Well, I can't win, but uh, we can at least I can at least They're try playing, and eke out another point. Right. And we so, can play for yeah. the folks at home, I think. So. All right. Here's my question number seven. Okay. One of the dysfunctional superheroes in the 1999 comedy Mystery Men is known as the Bowler, whose weapon is a cursed bowling ball with a skull inside of it. That's where the skull came from. Okay. Yeah. What actor portrayed that character oh, of the bowler? Everybody that was in that movie. Um, yeah, I had a huge. Was that like Paul Rubens in that movie? And I'm, I will neither confirm nor deny. Ben Stiller and um, for some reason the name that's coming to me is William H Macy. Is it William H Macy? You want to stick with that? Yeah, Janine Garofalo. Oh man, it was Janine Garofalo. Yeah. Was William H Macy in that movie? He was. Yeah, Good. I think okay. he had, he he had a shovel. Right. He fought people with a shovel. What was Ben Stiller's thing in that? movie? I don't remember. And the and that the the uh, main thing about that movie was it was the all the All Star song. Yeah, Smash Mouth, Smash Mouth was Mouth. yeah right because oh dear God they right. were in the uh, the music video the mystery movie Janine Garofalo that's where the skull came from when I said earlier right skull I was reading thinking. about it and I guess um, I mean I haven't seen Mystery Men in years and I don't know if anybody needs to go back and right. rewatch Mystery Men it was Men. the poor man's uh, Suicide Squad I, oh, <laughs> I take Mystery Men over Suicide Squad the movie at least um, the the skull inside of the bowling ball was apparently her father's, and he was the bowler before she was, and so it's like cursed with his spirit or something like that. Oh, yeah. There's like a lore to it. It would seem like if your weapon is a bowling ball, mm-hmm. um, your your potential super villain, whatever arch nemesis, would be limited. Maybe like to a pin. I mean, I guess something. it's sort of like you know Katana in the Suicide Squad, who's Fair who's this. I, didn't, I don't know. I her didn't see her the movie. sword is uh, <laughs> her sword is uh, uh, what's well, possessed by uh, I think it's the spirit of her murdered husband or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, that's beside the point. Shocking. All right, uh, this is the four final to two? four to two four to two, and okay. this is the, my final question. All right, so you can get to four to three if you get this one right. All right, this is going to be a question about the uh, classic game show Supermarket Sweep. Oh, I used to watch that. Did you? Yeah. Okay. Well, I think you might be able to get Super. it. Super. Uh, which of these game show icons was associated with the program Supermarket Sweep, which premiered on ABC in the 1960s and had runs on Lifetime and PAX during the 90s and early 2000s? It's that old. Yes. I used to watch it on PAX. Yeah. Well, in the 90s and 2000s. Yeah. yeah. I they were basically the playing repeats. I can't remember the name of the white bread host on that, but uh, well, okay. Let's let's see here. Um, one of these people that I'm about to list off who's on other game shows appeared on that show. Uh, appeared um, uh, as a host? Associated with the program. Okay. It'll, it'll make sense when I okay. ask the question. Is it A, Rod Roddy, the announcer for The Price is Right? Mm. B, Chuck Woolery, host of various game shows, sure. including The Love Connection? Sure. C, Johnny Gilbert, the announcer for Jeopardy? Jeopardy. Yeah. Or D, Ray Combs, who was the host of Family Feud in the late 80s and early 90s? Oh, he's a tragic figure. Yeah, he is. Hmm. So which of those was on Supermarket Sweep? Um, I'm leaning toward Ray Combs. It was Johnny Gilbert oh was God. the announcer. Seriously? Supermarket Sweep? You don't remember Johnny Gilbert? And... No. Okay. <laughs> I thought you might get did that you, one. Did yeah. you remember Johnny oh, Gilbert? Oh, man. I, well, t- Alex comes out every day. He's like, thank you, Johnny. Johnny Gilbert. Well, no, I know that. Yeah. I know who Johnny Gilbert is. He, it, was, on, least... he was the announcer for Supermarket oh. Sweep, too. Yeah. There was that whole... Thing at the end of the the uh, the, the program supermarket uh, sweep where they'd run through and they'd grab as much stuff as they yeah, could. Yeah, I remember that. And that was narrated by Johnny Gilbert. No kidding. He, yeah, he was hmm. a big part of that show. Well, and by the way, he is ninety two years old. You're kidding. And he was originally a nightclub singer. Wow, Johnny Gilbert. That's crazy. He was the announcer on Supermarket Sweep from nineteen ninety to nineteen ninety five. The name of the host, that white bread host, David Ruprecht. What's okay. his name? Interesting. Just so you know. I know so much about it. I'm, I'm practically Super, a Supermarket I'm going to go watch Supermarket expert. Sweep right yeah, now. I'm sure there's videos on YouTube yeah, that you can yeah. Okay, this is my last bowling question. Okay. This is my stupidest question. Okay. Um, and there's no... Well, that was my stupidest I mean, there's question. no way that you would know this. There's no way that anyone would know this. Okay. But I guess I, it, it'll be entertaining. So I don't know if you know this. There was a syndicated 70s show called Celebrity Bowling. Okay. Um, I don't know what network it ran on, but it pitted famous people, mostly 
TV stars and sort of like, you know, kind of uh, film stars that weren't A-list names anymore. Right. And put them on teams. So there'd be uh, four celebrities total, Mm -hmm. two celebrities on each team. And they would basically bowl against one another. It was a real show that existed. What network was it on? Is that Uh, the question? I I can't remember. I can't remember what network. It doesn't really matter. Anyway, what celebrity team in the original run of Celebrity Bowling logged the lowest ever score in the show's run? Netting only 66 points. Wait, their four-member team? Two-member team. Two-member team yeah. had 60, 66. Yes. So between the two of them, they averaged a 33. Yes. Out of 300. Yeah, that's quite bad. Okay. All right, ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a really good time writing this one. <laughs> I, I want to say, too, all of these are actual teams that competed on Celebrity Bowling. Oh, they're actual. I didn't make any of the teams the up. teams up. Okay. But one of these had the lo- So basically, okay. which of these teams had the lowest is, Celebrity is Bowling the score? worst, yeah. yeah. The Was worst. it A? Ernest Borgnine and Bobby Darren. <laughs> was it B, Charles Nelson Riley and Hogan's Heroes star Robert Clary? Wait, who is, who is Robert Clary on Hogan's Heroes? I don't remember. Okay. Anyway, C, Donald O'Connor and Rosemary Clooney. D, two of the Lennon sisters, a singing quartet that frequently appeared on the Lawrence Welk show. And I gave you an E. Broken Arrows, Michael Ansara, and Good Times, Jimmy J.J. Walker. <laughs> Those were all real teams that competed on Celebrity okay, Bowling. Five things to guess. Which from. one had the lowest score? When you asked this question, I knew Charles Nelson Riley was going to be on one of the <laughs> Well, teams. yeah, you, you had to be on every show, he was show, on TV right? shows in the 70s. Um, and I, I'm leaning towards that because I think Jimmy, I think J.J. was probably a pretty good bowler. And I think Borgnine would be, too. But the I Lennon would give anything, sisters... by the way, to watch Ernest Borgnine and Bobby Darren bowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hope they were like slamming beers and smoking oh, cigarettes. You know the whole they were. They were doing it like in between. Yeah, yeah, in between yeah. rounds. Yeah. I'm gonna go with the Lennon sisters. They had the second lowest. Score. Oh man, I'm sexist. There it is. <laughs> uh, they had 67 points. According, oh no! According Did they to go Wikipedia, against each other? According, like, yeah, 67. I think it was the four Lennon sisters. Well, no, was was, was it like? Oh no, no, no. Oh, okay, no. So um, I want to see that. I want to oh. see that like futility. I, I thought you meant like... did all the Lennon sisters participate? No, no, I believed yeah. they. I believe okay. they did, but I could be wrong. No, okay. it was Charles Nelson Riley and Robert. I should have went with Charles Nelson Riley. Don't you kind of wish though secretly that Charles Nelson Riley was a really good bowler? Yeah, like in in like the depths of my. Soul. I yeah. wish that Charles Nelson <laughs> Riley was good at like some really obscure things. Yeah, like, maybe he's just a really good crocheter. He's probably you know he he was probably quite a raconteur. Yes, uh, a Lothario, know. if you will. Uh, imagine the things that that guy saw yeah. throughout the sixties and seventies. Yeah. But yeah, yeah um, they had the they had the lowest possible score, sixty six. Yeah, that's, that's a, really bad. It's a gentleman's score right yeah. there. Mm-hmm. That is uh, that is not what you want to. <laughs> Um, I do have an extra question that I thought oh, okay. of, and uh, I think because I lost, okay. I kind of wrote it down as a tiebreaker just in case. Good. Um, but I'm I glad just, you did. I, 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 I want to see if you— I was so sure in my victory. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, you did win. It was 4-2, to right? It was 4-2. to two. Yeah, that is. That, yeah, you crushed me on this one. Okay. This is another bowling theme okay. question. In a 1985 Camper Van Beethoven song, who did singer David Lowry want to take bowling? The Skinheads. Correct. Yeah, yeah, Okay, I'm yeah. glad you knew that. Camper Van Beethoven. Yeah, man. It's yeah, a classic yeah. It's one. a great song. Well, uh, that concludes this uh, installment of Wake Up and Read It. Nathan and I end uh, tied at two. So I yeah. that's the right way to do it. Mm. So uh, congratulations to you, sir. And uh, Congratulations on what? I lost. Well, uh, you, we, we, kept, we kept a very competitive uh, yes. uh, uh, streak going here. So um, I, I enjoyed that. We hope you did as well. If... Uh, you have some other, um, if you have some gripes or whatever. Uh, Any celebrity them. bowling fans out there? Yeah, if you can let us know sort of who <laughs> the best team was and all that kind of stuff. Any gripes on our uh, scoring or our answers, you can send them to the front desk at the spokesman. We will, <laughs> we will pick them up uh, swiftly. Now let's leave you, as we always do, with five stories from the Inland Northwest last week you'll want to know about. In an effort to combat a so-called academic arms race, Spokane Public Schools will abandon their valedictorian system in the next five years, Eli Frankovic reported. The district will instead rank students by their percentile and adopt the Latin distinctions, summa and magna cum laude, that are used by higher education. Christ Clinic, a healthcare ministry that has provided services to patients in Spokane since 1991, will shutter at the end of February, Rachel Alexander reported. The rising costs of providing health care and a lack of volunteers led to the decision, which has been in the works for several years. 
Clinic officials say closing now will allow patients to transfer their medical records and find additional providers. Washington lawmakers are considering a bill that would rename U.S. 395, the under-construction North-South Freeway, to the Tom Foley Memorial Highway, Jim Camden reported. The longtime Spokane congressman, who earned a spot as Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives from 1989 to 1995, was responsible for securing a big portion of federal money used to improve the roadway. Convicted rapist Terrence Laramie was released by a Spokane County jury following a weeks-long trial sparked by consensual sex with his girlfriend, Tom Klaus reported. Laramie was under state supervision at a halfway house and was accused of violating his probation. Laramie has a criminal record dating back decades, including four rape convictions, but his attorneys argued that he was complying with treatment and wasn't trying to hide the relationship. And the Spokane City Council passed what some considered to be a superfluous ordinance last week that prohibits city employees from participating in the creation of a religious registry. Citing campaign rhetoric from President Donald Trump, the bill's sponsor, City Council President Ben Stuckert, said the city needed to affirm people of all faiths they wouldn't participate in such a plan. Opponents accused Stuckert of political grandstanding and fear-mongering, but the council approved the measure unanimously, and it's expected to be signed by Mayor David Condon. For more on these and other stories, visit Spokesman.com. And that'll do it for the Spokesman Review podcast this week. Thanks for tuning in. A reminder that you can find us on social media. Our Twitter handle is at Spokane underscore podcast, and our Facebook page is Facebook.com slash Spokane podcast. You can also email us directly, podcast at Spokesman.com. Episodes premiere Tuesdays on iTunes and Stitcher, or you can stream them for free in your browser at spokesman.com slash podcast. So it's probably now is a good time to uh, uh, break to our, our longtime fans that this will be Nathan's last podcast yes. episode. He's Sadly. Leaving us, he's leaving us for, for other pastures. Mm-hmm. Um, Nathan, I'm going to ask you what you learned about podcasting in the last two years. Oh, um, <laughs> let me think. Oh, you sprung that on me. Yes, I did. I'm going to say um, it's a lot harder than I think people make it out to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there are millions of podcasts out there. It seems like everybody has one these days. Um, but to actually keep it uh, relatively uh, you know, of professional quality and to get it out at the same time more or less the same time every week. Uh, Be sure that you've got new content that you're not repeating yourself um, is a challenge unto itself. And um, I'm I'm surprised that so many people are able to do it every week because we are often scrambling to to find good content, free content to bring to you. Um, So yeah, I think that's probably what I, what I learned. And I think, I think that, uh, I think our show improved a lot, uh, over the, what, the year and a half. I go, I'll go back was... and listen to it now, the early stages, and we kind of didn't know what the heck we were doing. I don't nope. know that we do now, but we did, <laughs> we have a better sense of it, I think, than we did back then. And, yeah. And you've been so. a big part of that, putting it together mm. every week. I think you will, our listeners will notice a <laughs> change in, uh, quality, if not, uh, also missing Nathan's voice. I want to say, Thanks for all the hours you put in. I know we come in on weekends sometimes yeah. and do this, um, and you always come with really interesting ideas and topics to talk about. And I'm going to miss you as a colleague, uh, mm-hmm. too. Uh, just uh, appreciate having you in the newsroom. Um, I'm sure folks will be able to follow you as you move on to your next endeavor. Right. And, uh, uh, yeah, anything else you want to leave our, our listeners with? No. Um, I'm, well, I'm really proud of what, uh, what we've created here and uh, the, uh, of the audience that we've sort of gained uh, because we, we have gained an audience mm-hmm. of, of people that listen regularly. And I'm always surprised when I, I meet somebody that, that you know tells me they listen right. to it every week yeah, because sometimes we feel like we're just screaming into the void, right? Um, <laughs> sometimes, but, yeah, right. But obviously, that's that's not the case. So um, yeah, it's been really really fun, and um, I hope it continues, and I can be one of the uh, one of those regular be listeners perfect. because I certainly will be. And 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 I'll constantly be going like, ah, they, they should have cut that out, or <laughs> oh, they're going to be a backseat podcast. Yeah, listener. totally, totally. All right. Well, uh, uh, thanks so much for all you put mm-hmm. into this, all your blood, sweat, and Cheers, Nathan, and we'll miss you. Um, We'll uh, obviously be uh, doing our best to bring you uh, continued updates. So um, normally this is the time when we say uh, stay tuned to our our social media accounts and we'll keep you up to date. We do have an interview uh, scheduled. I have an interview scheduled for this coming Friday, if you're listening on the Tuesday, with comedian Caroline Ray, who we hope to bring on to the podcast, kind of have a different voice here. Uh, maybe she'll be my co-host. Maybe That's I'll a good get. If, yeah, she can, yeah. uh, if she can stick around and do you, a couple you wait podcasts. For, you segments. wait for me to leave until you have a, a, another genuine celebrity on. <laughs> 
Anyway, uh, thanks for listening. For now, I'm Kip Hill. And I'm Nathan Weinbender. Saying stay near nature, near the newsbook, and we'll see you next week.